Well, if you have your Bibles, would you turn over to Matthew chapter 17 for this brief topical message today on Father's Day. I greet you all, all of you fathers and uh, future fathers. Happy Father's Day. Um, as you're turning, I wasn't able to mention this last week because events were still developing, um, but we will continue to pray for uh, the people of Orlando with all of the tragedies that have occurred. Um, just recently for them, uh, we pray for them, and we pray for that community, and I um, also want to be mindful of the people of Charleston who are also uh, coming towards the one-year anniversary of uh, the slayings that occurred in Mother Emanuel Church last year. Um, a lot going on in this world we live in, and before Jesus comes back and makes it better, um, the love of many is going to grow colder and colder. So we shouldn't think it's strange of these fiery trials that are trying the earth. Um, Satan knows that his time is short. Jesus is coming. And as one has said, he may come in the next year or he may wait another 100 years. But whatever the case, we want to be looking for him, anticipating his coming and occupying until he comes. And so thank you, Lord. Thank God for the prayer meeting that occurred this morning. Uh, will also happen next week. Atarius will close us out today, and he'll remind us of that next week. But it was amazing to be with God's people in his presence this morning. So let me move swiftly through a message entitled today, Three Things Every Father Needs to Hear. Three Things every father needs to hear. Now, you don't need to stop at three. You, you can give dad some more. But I'm just going to give you three today. And I'm going to begin reading Matthew chapter 17, verse 5. And it says, while he was still speaking, this is Peter, he was running his mouth. Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him, exclamation point. So as you know, they're on the Mount of Transfiguration is what it has been called, where Jesus allows his glory to be unveiled momentarily, that the disciples may see his glory. And while they're on this mountain and the glory of the Lord appears, Two other figures from the Old Testament appear, Elijah and Moses, and they begin to walk and talk with Jesus. And Peter is there, and he sees what's going on. He's caught up in the uh, serenity of this moment. It is an epiphany. It is marvelous. It is majestic. Jesus is outshining the sun. His clothes are glowing. And Peter says, we need to build three tabernacles. One for Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking this nonsense, because we can't put a man on the same plane as Jesus Christ, the God-man. And that's why, although we will respect our Islamic and Muslim brothers and sisters who see Jesus as a prophet on the same level as Moses and Muhammad, we have to politely disagree with them because there's nobody greater than Jesus. Yes, he is a prophet, but according to Deuteronomy 18.15, he is the or the prophet 
the prophet of God and no one is on his level. And so Peter, who should wear peppermint socks because he always keeps his foot in his mouth <laughs> while he's still speaking, the father interjected and said, wait a minute, hold on now. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. In other words, shut up because it's hard for you to listen while you are talking. Be quiet. My son is here. And then the Bible lets us know as the story goes on that once the voice spoke from heaven, and, and this is the same voice that shook Mount Sinai, where the Jews weren't able to touch the mountain lest they die. They heard the voice of God like thunder, and they thought they were going to die. And Moses said, no, no, you're not going to die. God was just speaking. And so this thunderous sound, they were cowering. And then when they looked up, the Bible says all they saw was Jesus. Moses and Elijah were gone, and all they saw was Jesus. And that's all right. I think we were singing that today. Just give me Jesus. Just, just let me look at Jesus. Jesus is enough. But I love what the father said because he teaches us what every father should say about his son or daughter. We learn from the father concerning how he verbally affirmed his son in a public setting. And he said, this is my beloved son. In other words, Jesus, I love you. He also says, in whom I am well pleased. In other words, I am pleased with you. Every child needs to hear daddy say, I love you. I'm pleased with you. As a matter of fact, you're good at something. You're so good that everybody needs to listen to you talk because no one has ever spoken like Jesus. The Bible says that the father spoke that day and he affirmed his son. And many years ago when we went through men's fraternity, this was one of the lessons that we learned as fathers concerning how to love our children because all of our children need to know and hear from us that we love them that we are pleased with them and they're good at something. Even if it's finger painting, they are good at something and they need to hear their dad say that. And the father modeled that for us that day. But I love Jesus's relationship to his father because it just wasn't a one-way relationship concerning the father to Jesus. Jesus made it very, very clear on many occasions how he felt about his father. So it just wasn't what the father felt about the son, but it was also what the son felt about the father. And as we look at their relationship, it is the quintessential relationship to teach us how to love each other and be loved by one another. So therefore, I'm going to flip the script this morning and talk about three things every father needs to hear from his children. Right. See, it's one thing when the children hear from the fathers, but since it is Father's Day, there are some things we dads would like to hear and even need to hear from our children. So please take notes. Amen. So turn over to John chapter 10 now, because the first thing a dad wants to hear in this topical sermon is that, Dad, you are great. <laughs> you are great. John chapter 10, because this is what Jesus said about his father. In verse 29, John 10, 29, Jesus said, my father who has given them to me, speaking of the sheep, he's just talked about being the good shepherd. He lays down his life for the sheep and the father's going to give him these sheep. And Jesus says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. 
So he's talking about the security of the sheep, that they're safe because they, we, are in the hand of God. And because we're in the hand of God, no one can snatch us out. And when he's talking in this context, he's talking about every liar, every thief, every murderer, every destroyer, every wolf, every hireling, every enemy. No one can snatch us from the Father's hand. So therefore, we're in a secure place because it always depends on whose hand you're in. Now, if I had a golf club in my hand, that thing would be a lethal weapon. But if you put that in the hand of a PGA Tour person, a man or a woman, that thing becomes an instrument by, by which you can win some green jackets and stuff because it all depends on whose hand this thing is in. If you put a basketball in my hand, uh, I might be able to make a couple of shots. But if you put that ball in the hands of a, uh, let's say, mm-hmm, uh, that play tonight, <laughs> it all depends on whose hand that ball is in. And because I'm in God's hands, I'm not in my own hands. The Bible says in John, excuse me, in Psalm 31, that my times are in his hands. So Jesus is saying how great his father is, and he's trying to encourage the sheep that because you're in his hand, the hand that matters, no one can snatch you. So this is an argument for eternal security for the Christian. Because if no one can snatch me out of his hand... Romans 8, nothing can separate me from his love. And then Paul gives a whole list. Why do we think that we can jump out of that hand on our own when we didn't jump in that hand on our own? He placed us in his hand. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got me and you, brother, in his hands. And we're not coming out of his hands. Jesus said that as a means to encourage us to be secure and safe in his hands. And so Jesus says, my father is greater and then he went on in verse 30 to say, I and my father are one. Oh, my. No wonder they wanted to stone him. But in terms of Father's Day, as Jesus said about his dad, my dad is greater than any wolf or any thief. You know, when we were growing up as kids, we always compared fathers to one another. My dad is stronger than your dad. My dad is faster than your dad. My dad makes more money than your dad. My dad's wife is prettier than your dad's wife. <laughs> we always would compare dads in the neighborhood. And when my father would make a muscle, I used to think he had the biggest muscle in the world. My dad was an athlete, and uh, believe it or not, he was a swimmer. And that doesn't happen a whole lot in my family. I just learned how to swim <laughs> a few years ago. We're praying for Bernard Pollard and other Negroes who do not know how to swim. What is it about black folks and swimming? Oh, man, some of us swim like bricks. We just whoop, go right there. But my dad was a great swimmer. He won the Boy of the Year Award in Baltimore. Uh, he was just a good man. But the biggest thing about my dad that I loved that made him so great was that he was a man of God. When my dad met Jesus Christ, it was obvious. Um, he was a person who did a lot of crazy things, uh, uh, and we may even look at it today and say, it wasn't that bad. But let me just give you a couple of things about my dad. My dad, he would get drunk on the weekend, every weekend. Paps Blue Ribbon and Johnny Walker Red. I mean, every weekend with his brothers. They would drink and they would smoke and they would listen to Richard Pryor albums every weekend. See, some of y'all don't even understand what I'm saying. And uh, 
And he had a little mouth like a sailor. Yeah, uh-huh. But when he met Jesus, something radical shifted in him, and it was obvious. And he stopped drinking, he stopped smoking, he stopped cursing. But he continued to hang with his brothers without condemning them. And he loved his brothers. He just wouldn't drink with them. My brother Harold is here. He could testify about the change that happened in my dad. Um, and it just wasn't the outward things as far as, you know, putting down certain traps and sins, besetting sins. But something happened inside of my father whereby he became the spiritual leader of our home. He grew up in church, but Jesus wasn't in him. And something happened when I was in uh, junior high school where a change occurred in my father. And now he's leading us to church, you know, and, and he really wants to go. He's not just going because he's a deacon and he has to count money. He's going because he wants to be there and he's reading his Bible. He's leading us in prayer. Something changed in my dad and it was Jesus Christ who changed my dad. And then later in life when my dad, his health began to suffer, um, some of you know he's a triple amputee, or he was a triple amputee. Both legs and a thumb was taken because of diabetes. And, uh, and I learned from my dad that true strength is found in weakness, and that as he suffered during that season of dialysis and amputations, um, I remember telling my dad one day how great he was. And I said, Dad, after both of his legs had been cut off, I said, Dad, you have never stood taller in my life. And I remember just verbally blessing him because we had this thing because the Lord has so massaged my father's heart that when I was in college, we would talk on the phone and we would rush to the end of the conversation so we could be the first to say, I love you. I mean, we get all, you, you got your laundry done, you get your schoolwork done. We're rushing to get to the end so that he could beat me to saying I love you or I could beat him to saying I love you. And so just that tender heart, um, my dad was a great man, passed away May 21st, 2000. And I know for many of you, you have fathers who are in heaven. Some of you, this day is tough because you have a father who does not exemplify your heavenly father. Um, but that's why we look past our earthly fathers when we have to, not to disrespect them, and I'll talk about that in a moment, but to look to God, our father, who is greater. But when you can have an earthly dad or you are the dad where you break the generational curse, your dad wasn't great for you, but you have children, and now you can be great for your children. And that's what it's all about. And if you have a father that you don't respect, I know it's hard today, but the Lord still commands us to honor our father and our mother. I know it's hard, but this is why we can at least say, Lord, I have trouble with the person, but I'm going to respect the position because this is the dad you gave me. I didn't have a choice. You chose this man for me. Um, he helped bring me into this world, and I'm going to honor his position, even if I have trouble with the man as a person. And so I just encourage you today, um, maybe there's a chance you can even pick up the phone and call your dad and say, I just want to tell you, dad, um, you're a great man. And you take that one thing that he does well, and you honor him with that. It'll make you feel better. It'll make you feel better. I know it's tough. A lot of us have father wounds. But some of us also have great dads. And don't think that I've already told him he doesn't need to hear it. No, we need to hear it. We need to hear it. Um, secondly, not only should we tell our dads that they're great, we should tell them that you work hard, dad. You work hard. Go over to John chapter 5. John 
Again, just looking at how Jesus interacted with his father, he verbally caressed and blessed his father. He said, my father is greater. And then here in John chapter 5, beginning at verse 17, after Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath and the Pharisees uh, just, it irritates them and now they want to kill Jesus. And Jesus said, he answered them, my father has been working until now and I have been working. Now theologically, he's equating himself to God the Father, which the Jews in that time understood that he, being a mere man, was making himself to be equal to God by talking about God in such familiarity because Jews did not call God their father like that. And then to say that he's working and so am I, they understood Jesus to be exalting himself to the plane of God the Father. And so later they're going to pick up stones to try to stone him because no mere man is to make a claim like that, to speak of God in such familiar terms and to say that what God is doing, I am doing. But once again, we know that Jesus is the son of God. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh. So it's a mystery. It's called uh, the hypostatic union, how Jesus could be God and man. It also speaks to the Trinity, how our God is one, but he is plural in person as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three co-equal personages in the Godhead. It's a mystery, but it's true. And so that's some of the theological background. But Jesus says in this passage that my Father has been working, and so am I. That I know Pharisees, you have a different way you interpret the Sabbath. Uh, But later Jesus would say that the Sabbath Uh, was not made for, no, man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. That God gave man the Sabbath to rest, but it was not a thing where you couldn't move or do anything. And Jesus would call out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees because they would rescue an animal in a ditch or they would circumcise a person on the Sabbath. But here Jesus comes and he heals a crippled man on the Sabbath and everybody's all up in arms. And Jesus wants to let them know that my father works every day. He doesn't take any days off, and we need to be happy about that. My father is working on every day, including the Sabbath, and so am I. Just because you misinterpret the law doesn't mean that I'm going to stop being who I am, and God is not going to stop being who he is. He's working every day. As a matter of fact, he has a way of not only working every day, but he has a way of working everything for good for those who love him and for those who are called according to his purpose. So I'm so glad that the father is working and Jesus said my father is working you see God created man to work we're made in his image man is supposed to work Uh, work got cursed but work is not a curse let me say that one more time it went right over your head because when God created the world and created uh, man on the last day and, and, and ladies listen to this if you're single All the singles, ladies, I need you to listen to this now. Before Adam got a wife, he had a job. I'm telling you, before she came on the scene, he had work. He had to work in the garden and name the animals. But it just doesn't stop there because some of you will try to get a guy who got a job and he could pay bills. It doesn't stop there. Adam got the word of God before he got a wife because God gave him the commands about what to do and what not to do in the garden as it pertains to that tree of life. He gave him the command. He was to give that command to his wife as the spiritual leader of his home. I know that sounds uh, archaic. 
I know that sounds like Fred Flintstone, something from the Stone Age, but it's biblical, and that's the way the family is supposed to work, that the husband is to be the head of his wife, servant leader covering his wife. Both are priests, both are equal before God, but they have different roles in the home, and Adam was created first to establish order in the home, then Eve came. So before Eve came, brother had work, he had the word, and he had a walk with God. He didn't get to walk with God so he could walk with the woman. <laughs> he walked with God. Then he got the wife. And he still messed up. But I'm trying to tell y'all. We all need grace. Order is good. But he had a job. And then once they fell into sin, the Bible says that now he was going to work from the ground. The ground was going to be harder because creation got cursed. And he was going to sweat his brow to, to get the fruit of the labor. And so work, yeah, yeah, yeah. A man created in the image of God who works, a man is supposed to work. And if you don't have a job right now, looking for a job is your job until you get a job. Can the wall say amen? I got one over there. And I thank God for women who... Although their man may not have a job because he's looking for a job or there's some extenuating circumstances keeping him from working, she's not putting him down because, yes, a man is supposed to work, but his identity is not found in his work. His identity is found in God. And as men, we have to keep working on that to realize, man, my identity is not in what I do. It's in who I am. And because of who I am, he's given me something to do. And so, but thank God for our ladies who encourage our men. Amen, amen. It's not easy out here. Mm -hmm. My father had two jobs. And no, he was not Jamaican. He had two <laughs> jobs. He worked for the government and Paul Revere. He was a real estate agent. And uh, <laughs> he had a real estate uh, office. And he gave me my first job at his real estate office, which was to be the janitor and the leaf raker. So, and I don't recall getting paid. <laughs> when you work for your dad, he don't pay you. He's like, boy, that food I put on your table, boy, that, that, you know, that, that's what you'll pay right there, boy. And so he had two jobs, but he always showed me how to work. My dad was a worker. He was not a lazy man. And the Bible talks a whole lot about lazy men. You can't depend on them like a foot that's out of joint. When your ankle's messed up, you can't stand on it. And so the Bible encourages men not to be lazy. All of us as God people, but especially men, don't be lazy. Um, I would see my dad sweat every Saturday because Saturday in the home was work day in the home. Uh, you'd clean the house. You cut the grass. You'd make minor repairs. I see Chauncey smiling because I think you understand what I'm talking about. And when we would do that stuff on every Saturday, we would play Motown music. And then when my dad got saved, he'd play Andre Crouch. And, and so we, you know, every Saturday we're working. And my father would sweat doing the smallest things. He was like the dude in the OJs. Like, that one dude in the OJs, Levert, as soon as he grabbed the mic, he started sweating. My dad would start sweating. I just remember watching him when he was using a screwdriver or he's up under the car, whatever he's doing. And, and while he's doing that, he's teaching me things. He's teaching me how to cut the grass, even though my mother didn't want me to cut the grass because she thought I was going to cut my foot off. And so my father was like, no, let that boy cut the grass. He'll be all right. And uh, so my daddy worked. You know, as men, you know, we do our best not to look for praise. We just do our job. We do our job. 
but we learn from our wives that every now and then it's not bad to get praise. Because, you know, when your wife is doing all that work, she's cooking and doing all this stuff, holding the house together, and if she's working and doing all, it's good to encourage her and say, baby, I see the work that you're doing. And so when she glows as a result of praise, we like it to be reciprocated back to us to say, honey, I see that hard work that you're doing. We're not going to take it for granted. So why don't you try to tell your father or your husband that you appreciate how hard he works? Can somebody say amen? Our men work hard. They work hard for the money. They work hard. But then thirdly and finally, why don't we use this Father's Day to tell our fathers that you are worth imitating. Look at verse 19. Then Jesus answered and said to them, I'm in John chapter 5, Most assuredly I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. So Jesus, the Bible says, was in the bosom of the father. He has declared him and made him known. No one has seen the Father, but if you've seen the Son, it's like seeing the Father because he's the exact representation of God's glory and being. He's a chip off the old block, if you will. And so Jesus is saying, the way that I speak, I learn from my Father. The way that I minister, I've learned from my Father. As a matter of fact, these are not even my words. These are my Father's words, he would say in other portions of Scripture. So he says, I only do what I see my Father doing. And that's what sons do. We observe our dads. That's what daughters do. They observe their dads. And it's a good thing to teach your daughters that you want a man like daddy. You want to marry a man like daddy. So that's why, again, it all starts in the home because our kids are sponges. And they not only listen to what we say, but what we do has more weight than what we say. And they're watching us. The boys are learning from us how to be a man. The girls are learning what kind of man to look for. We have an important role in the home. As we disciple them, raise them up to send them out, the fathers, the leaders of the home. And so I remember imitating my father. I remember when he taught me how to drive. And, uh, and we got pulled over by the police on the first day. He took me out <laughs> how to drive. And, and I, I did something wrong, and the police officer came to the window. I didn't know what was going on. I'm scared. My father speaks to the cop from the passenger side to tell, hey, officer, my son is learning how to drive. He didn't know what he was doing. He made that right on red, almost hit that old lady. He didn't know what he was doing. <laughs> and so we, I was free to go, but my dad taught me how to drive. And he used to do this thing when I was a real little kid. I used to think he would drive with no hands. And so he would say, watch me, son. And he put his hands behind his head, and he would drive down the street. And I'm looking at this like, man, he's driving with no hands. <laughs> But all the while, he was guiding it with his thigh. You know, it was an old school trick. It was an old school trick, but it got me. So guess who did that trick with his kids? Me. Did it with all of them. Dante, watch this. Chase, Krista, Karis, watch this. I'm driving with no hands. I'm doing this. Like, Dad, Dad, you're cool. But I imitated my father on how to drive correctly, but also how to play some games. Now, Darina's dad taught me how to drive a stick shift. I did not know how to drive a stick shift. I was intimidated by a stick shift. And so he taught me how to drive a stick shift. And I remember we were in Virginia, and uh, we were driving somewhere. He had this red Subaru. And he's trying to teach me how to get out of the first and how to come in the second. 
And I had that car shaking so much. I looked over at him. I felt so sorry for him. And he stutters a little bit when he talks. And he's like, okay, brother, ease it out, brother. Ease it, ease it out, brother. Ease it. Oh, I'm killing my father-in-law over here. But while I was with him, Darina, uh, yesterday, I was in Virginia uh, this weekend. Your dad told me a story about you. And it involves driving a stick shift. And he said that this was the only time you ever disobeyed him. And he said, y'all were on a hill, and he was trying to teach you how to drive. Now, I don't know why I never heard this story. And he oh, you didn't want to tell me. So y'all were on this hill. You couldn't get it out of, you know, into first. You were drifting backwards. You got so frustrated that you put the emergency brake up, got out of the car, and walked back to the church. I said, my baby did not do that. He said, yes, she did. So the way you're shaking your head, that's a true moment. Oh, my goodness. Uh-uh-uh. And then your mother chimed in and said, now you know what you got, these stubborn women, these stubborn women. I ain't saying nothing, Lord. But yeah, they teach you how to drive. We imitate them. We imitate them. My dad taught me how to tie a tie. What has your father taught you how to do? He taught me how to shave, how to serve, how to be a husband, how to be a father, how to pray. Um, I have a video of my dad praying at our wedding. I can still hear him, how he prayed over his food at the kitchen table. He taught me how to walk with God. So tell your father how you imitate him. Say, Dad, you know, the way you do this, uh, you go in every room and turn out all the lights. I do the same thing now, Dad. Do we have anybody that does that? Did your father ever do that? Now you do that? As soon as you start paying a bill or two, you realize how important that is to save that 13 cents on that light bill. But I do the same thing. And what about shut my refrigerator, right? Shut my, don't be going in and out of the house because you didn't get the air conditioning to try to do the whole neighborhood. All that stuff I say to my kids now. I imitate my daddy. But above all, I hope I can imitate my kids in terms of how my dad was a humble servant leader and that I can continue to do that. My God. So Strong Tower, in conclusion, take some time not only today, but on a regular basis, to tell your father, to tell your grandfather, to tell, to tell your stepfather or your spiritual father, and above all, your heavenly father. You are great, you work hard, and you are worth imitating. Can you do that?